0: What's up everyone? Hunter here. In this episode of Entitled Opinion, Alec and I have a short debate about whether student loans have a positive impact. Student loans are a somewhat contentious topic with a total debt value exceeding $1.7 trillion. Is it time for a change or is everything fine? I hope you enjoy and learn something like Alec and I have. Don't forget to check us out at entitledopinion.com and let us know your thoughts, feedback, and concerns at entitledopinionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening and welcome to another episode.
1: The Entitled Opinion Podcast featuring Hunter and Al. On this episode,
0: what are we doing, Hunter? Hello, Alec. We are debating student loans and whether or not they are good or bad. So, we're doing something a little bit different today. And uh, the stance I'm taking is that student loans do not add value, they're a bad thing. And uh, Alec is taking the opposite approach, the opposite stance. I'm opposing you. Yes. And so uh, hopefully by the end, maybe we'll have a winner or maybe we'll have some uh, middle ground that we agree on.
1: Um, But uh, we'll find out. Yeah, let's... Okay, so in formal debate, I think uh, the way things start is each side gets a certain amount of time to sort of present their overview. And then um, either one is given a time to, like, counter or respond to the assertions that the other person has put forth. So do you have any um, say thirty ish second or one minute overview of what your stance is? Um
0: I do. I, I kinda wanted to give like a history of student loans too. But uh Oh cool. Can I do that and then and then you can go and give your stance and then I'll give my stance and then I don't know maybe you rebut rebuttal give a rebuttal to what I'm okay. arguing.
1: How's that sound? All right. Yeah, I can, I can give you some butt. Okay,
0: nice. All right, so I have, it's a little bit of words here, but uh, I think it's, it's interesting, and I think it sets the stage for what student loans are and when they started in the U.S. and how they changed over time. Okay, okay. so um, the federal government began guaranteeing student loans provided by banks and nonprofit lenders in 1965, creating the program that is now called the Federal Family Education Loan FFEL Program, The first federal loans were provided under the National Defense Education Act of 1958, where direct loans were capitalized with U.S. Treasury funds following a recommendation of economist Milton Friedman. But when Congress wanted to expand on that start, budget rules made the guarantee approach seem more attractive. Today, the system of guaranteed student loans has been entirely replaced and all new loans are issued directly by the Department of Education.
1: Under the night, 19- real quick, real yep. quick. Sorry, is this some uh, a source that you're quoting or something you wrote this down? This is a source I'm
0: quoting. I did not write this. So it's okay. a it's just a timeline of what's what's going on. Okay. So uh, uh, under the 1965 budget rules, a direct loan would have to show up in the budget as a total loss in the year it was made, even though most of it would be paid back with interest in future years. In contrast, a guaranteed loan which placed the full faith and credit of the United States behind a private bank loan, would appear to have no upfront budget cost at all because the government's payments for defaults and interest subsidies would not occur until later years. This raised concerns among economists who worried that the government was making financial commitments without accounting for the ultimate costs. Okay, so that's 1965. Fast forward to 1990. Economists got what they wanted with President George H.W. Bush, is signature on the Federal Credit Reform Act um, which was part of a larger reconciliation bill the Omnibus Reconciliation Act of 1990 all government loan programs whether guarantees of commercial loans or loans made directly from a federal agency would have to account for their full long-term expenses and income every loan program would have an estimated subsidy cost okay so mm-hmm. so it's gonna play into our arguments so the subsidy cost is the amount of money that needs to be set aside When the loan is made in order to cover the costs to the government over the life of the loan, according to the Government Accountability Office, the old approach distorted costs and and did not recognize the economic reality of the transactions, while the new approach provides transparency regarding the government's total estimated subsidy costs rather than than recognizing these costs sporadically on a cash basis over several years as payments are made and receipts are collected. More information on student loan budget rules is provided. This more rational approach to budgeting change the nature of policy discussions on Capitol Hill. Student loan programs were among the first to be affected. Okay, so I just, a few more paragraphs. Um, prompted by an analysis from the Bush administration indicating that direct loans would be less costly and simpler to administer than guaranteed loans, Congress created a direct lending pilot program in 1992. In 1993, newly elected President Clinton proposed replacing the guarantee program with a direct approach as part of his deficit reduction plan, estimates from all of the government's budgeting and auditing agencies showed that direct lending would deliver the same loans to students at significantly lower cost to taxpayers. So they're trying to reduce costs. As part of the 1993 budget agreement, Cong- Congress passed a budget reconciliation bill, and there's a lot of these, um, starting with colleges.
1: A lot of the, bu- a lot of budget reconciliation. Yeah.
0: Okay. That would fit. Fa- that would phase in direct lending starting with colleges that volunteer to participate in Give the secretary of education, the power if necessary to require colleges to switch until at least 60% of loans nationwide were direct instead of guaranteed while the law called for Mm. direct lending to replace guaranteed loans. It was silent about what would happen beyond the 60% mark since that was outside the five-year window covered by the budget. Man in 1994, the new Republicans, uh, Leadership in Congress targeted direct lending for elimination, however, many college and university officials were dissatisfied with the guaranteed loan system and optimistic about the new alternative. Under the guarantee system, financial aid administrators had to deal with what the Government Accountability Office labeled a complicated, cumbersome process disconnected from other federal aid and involving thousands of middlemen. Hundreds of institutions were already participating in the direct loan program, which operated in tandem with the other federal aid programs. Ultimately, congressional leaders, okay. it's, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm almost done. Okay. I think it's, it's really, it's really going to set the stage because it's, it's the federal government trying to consolidate their control over the federal loans, and now it's grown to this enormous thing. Um, in 2003, a team of investigative reporters at U.S. News and World Report looked into what was causing some colleges to switch back to the guarantee program. Their front-page story found that much like old-time political ward bosses, The student loan industry used money and favors along with their friends in Congress and Department of Education to get what they wanted. Um, I'll fast forward to uh, George Bush. Um, He enacted a temporary program in May 2008 to allow the U.S. Department of Education to buy guaranteed loans made by private lenders. The proceeds from the loans would be used to originate new student loans. Um, In this regard, the guaranteed program now shares more characteristics with the direct loan program, and then Obama finally proposed in his fiscal year 2010 budget um, to fully eliminate the FFEL program. So in 2010, Congress passed and the president signed into law a bill that eliminated the program for all new loans made as of July 1st, 2010. That means after July 1st, 2010, all loans were direct instead of um, issued by private banks and nonprofit. And then bought by the government. Yeah, and then guaranteed by the government. And, so, and what the government was doing was subsidizing the interest on those loans and they backed the loan if the if people were to, bid to file bankruptcy or default on the loan, the government would pay the bank okay. back. So that's the background. Okay.
1: All right, so let me see if I can understand all of that because that was a lot of information. Um, there was a sort of like baseline student loan program established in the 60s, and it persisted as it was for about 30-ish years, mm-hmm. and then in the 90s, uh, there was significant measures to be done to change the system, and over time, the government took on more of a role with, with how student loans were being administered until it got to a point where the there would be private lending organizations that the government would either buy the loans off of the private lenders or secure them in case of uh, some kind of default and then in 2010 the government said let me let's get rid of the middle men and let's let's get rid of the intermediaries and let's provide these loans directly with taxpayer money mm-hmm. am i understanding that correctly correct yeah okay All right. So And that's interesting, two thousand ten is when we first went to yeah, college. Yeah, that was our first year, so right? we were we never experienced
0: yeah. the other one. So the what so just to clarify, what the government did from the beginning in nineteen sixty five was subsidize the interest on the loans. And it didn't tell me how they subsidized it, but they didn't expect to pay anything. The government didn't expect to use taxpayer money to fund these bankers giving these loans out to students until years down the road. And so on their on the, the accounting for the year, when they had to account for the money spent, they didn't have to write anything on that year. So it's just some, like I said, sporadic uh, hit on their books when they have to subsidize the interest. And on the rare occasion where students defaulted on their loans and they backed the loans for, the, uh, for those private banks. So the private banks were using their own money to give the loans to students. And then the federal government was kind of guaranteeing that that loan was going to work. Mm-hmm. And then they changed the direct loans. In a multi multi-step process, and uh, finally achieving that goal in 2010.
1: Okay. All right. I think I have kind of an idea now of where we're at with that history. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a quick history lesson. There's a lot. Yeah, a lot to there's it. A Maybe lot there. We, we yeah. could have
0: both read that before this, but uh,
1: I think I mean well, anybody it's, who's I think it's tuning good. in, any, anybody who's tuning in is uh, learning it along with yep. me. So. Um. So, um, what is Alex' stance? That's the history. That's the history, right? Okay. So, as an overview of of why student loans are worthwhile, I have to say uh, mostly it has to do with it adds value. So the student loan allowing people to improve their education when they wouldn't be able to afford that education brings value to their own lives individually it brings a li- lot it brings value to their local community and it brings value at every level and it is it's like any kind of you know we think of education itself as you're making kind of this sacrifice there's there's some opportunity that's lost being in a classroom and doing homework compared to going out and doing work immediately out of school as a you know to 18 years old. And so you are losing some opportunity and you are re- recovering um, that lost opportunity later on with better opportunities. And so with that being true of education itself, I believe it is also true of the financing for that education where there is this short-term pain of the cost, of that financing, but as time goes on, not only are people able to pay back that financing, but the economy as a whole has um, improved so that the uh, rising tide lifts all ships. That's my overview. And I'm actually, if you don't mind, I see you writing. I'm going to pull out my notebook just in case I want to take any notes <laughs> based off what okay. you say. Okay,
0: so I, I do have some clarification question so you're saying that so i mean we're not arguing whether or not higher education is good i think uh we're ar- a arguing topic for a different yeah, kind yeah we're arguing whether or not the student loans is good and uh giving more people access to higher education
1: right i'm sort of i think we're under the assumption that this argument is based on the agreement that higher education is good uh I think so yeah. Because we could conflate we could conflate too many points if we just right. tried to say student loans are bad and um, universities are bad. As
0: well. Yeah, I think the yeah, I agree. I think you have to we both need to assume here that higher education in general is good and the question is whether or not the return on investment from a systematic point of view and an individual point of view that student loans, you know, give you a positive return on investment yes Or okay. financially and otherwise um okay so i think i understand what you're saying uh so the way i started was why why is it good in the first place and i kind of tried to re you know rebuke those points um the first was at an individual level student loans uh, add value to their lives okay so um I think the assumption is that student loans would allow more people who could not otherwise afford a higher education get access to that higher education and that uh, that student loan that they're taking out is worth it in the long run for them to do so. So that's one. And I'm saying I don't think it's worthwhile. Um, I don't think that you do get that return on investment. You're better off for the most part um, not taking student loans out if you can't afford it and then pursuing a trades job example um, and uh, I have some I'll just keep a high level here and then we can go into the details later and then the second benefit that uh, that I don't think we see is um, the benefit to society and so I think the assumption is that if you have a workforce that's better educated ed- better educated you can fill more highly technical jobs and you could uh, make the economy more robust and uh, more technically capable I think there's other other things you can say that um, student loans provide better access to higher education would result in, and that's, you know, you know people that make more rational decisions, and they uh, make more informed decisions, and they're more capable and intelligent and more likely to participate in the community. And uh, we're not we're not seeing that, in my argument.
1: And that's my overview. You, you, you're saying that um on that last point that college graduates are not making more rational decisions than non-college attendees um yes yeah that's what i'm saying okay okay Let to make sure i understood that all right so i uh, shall i rebut any of what you were saying uh yeah go ahead Okay. I, well, I guess we got to get into some of the details of, of where our stances are. I mean, I pulled up a few um, sources, but some of the, you know, just looking at sort of an overview of debate in general, when there is a disagreement of sources, we can only get so far, right? If I say education helps, look at this source. And you say, education doesn't help, look at that source. Yep. Then we kind of get into a stalemate. Um, and Part of the, and so really when you get into the nitty gritty of a disagreement, you have to look at the research and the information. You have to look at the data. And I don't know how well prepared we are to be able to do that. So I think we have to sort of do these like logic based arguments. And there's nothing wrong with that. Anyway, um, I do have some data, mostly financial. Okay. Okay. I mean, I have some sources as well that I pulled up. Let me start with a particular point, then, on my side. And and you can tell me what you think about this. Um, The median earning of a worker increases with level of education. That's pretty well documented. Right? Yeah, I'd agree. Would you agree? I'd agree. Okay. So, to be able to earn more uh, you know the more education the more earnings there is this more ability to repay the financing for that education right
0: uh yeah i would agree
1: okay um so i mean that's the foundation of what i would say is the student loans are worth it um argument is that as the the education gets pays for itself via the better opportunities that you get. Um, So, what... I wouldn't agree that it
0: pays for itself. I I agree that if you have a higher education, that you have access to greater wages on average than people who do not have the same degree, same level of degree.
1: Okay, so why does it not pay for itself?
0: Okay, so here's the the data that I have. So, um, I looked at the... Median wage of Americans throughout years. I started in uh, nineteen hundred. The data kind of gets a little wonky before like the seventies, early seventies. On the, uh, I think it was the Bureau of Labor Statistics or something. Yeah. So I so yep. I had to I had to Google certain years and I used one college, University of Pennsylvania, as a metric, and I used that against the median wage of Americans. Um. So in nineteen hundred, the tuition cost average annual tuition cost for University of Pennsylvania was $150, and the median annual wage of Americans, for all Americans, was $674 a year. And tuition cost as a percentage of annual
1: wage was 22 percent. stop, okay, so, sorry. Um, so you're saying the metric that you're using is the average household income across the United States Despite no, not household income, median wage for per individual, median wage for working individual, for individuals, yep. not not factoring in education. Correct. Level. Okay, so I would contend that that is a really important factor. Okay. Well, let,
0: let me finish, and we and we can talk about that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was 1900. So fast forward to 1965, the tuition cost, average annual tuition cost at University of Pennsylvania was fifteen hundred dollars. So a ten x increase. Um, And and the median wage in the U.S. was $6,900, also about a 10x increase. And Mm -hmm. as a tuition cost, annual tuition cost as a percentage of annual wage was also 22%. Okay. Now, fast forward to 2022, the annual tuition cost for University of Pennsylvania was $56,000. And the median wage for Americans was $54,000. So uh, in 2022, the tuition cost as a percentage of annual wage was went from 22% to 103%. One hundred three percent. So just to put that in perspective, if wages continued the trend and grew as quickly as the average tuition cost, the median wage in the United States would be about $250,000 instead of 56 mm-hmm. or 54. Mm-hmm. So um, my argument is that the student loans provide more people access to higher education, but the the cost is greater than the benefit it provides And it's okay. and it's outpacing the obviously outpacing the uh, the wage increases that we see. And it's interesting that tuition costs and median wage grew at the same rate from 1900 to 1965. And when student loans were introduced in 1965, tuition costs greatly outpaced, um, the growth of tuition costs greatly outpaced the growth of median wage. And so, so um, my next point is that the average wages for jobs... Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So that my next point was, okay, so what? So what? How do you know it's not, it's not worth it? It could be, what if tuition cost was a million bucks? Maybe it's still worth it. So uh, the average median wage, or the median wage in the U.S. is 54000 in 2022. And I have a list of some jobs that don't require degrees and their median wages. So electrician is $56,000. Plumber is 55000 Iron worker is 53000 Postal service worker is 62000 The firefighter is 50000 so they require some training, but you don't have to take student loans out to, to get that training and get a degree. Um, so my argument is that student loans have become have uh, are not so much worth it because of the tuition cost increase over the years. And this is maybe outside the argument, but I think the reason for the tuition cost increase is because of the access to student loans that people have. And the burden is placed on the consumers, the students, when they take those loans out. And there's no repercussions for raising tuition um, substantially year over year. Um, but, but back to the non-degree jobs, you can make more than the median wage without a degree. And uh, in my opinion, that is the, therefore, it's not worth it to take student loans out because you can make more money than the median wage by taking by getting a job without a, uh, a degree.
1: Okay. Okay. So, there's a couple things that come to my mind there. Okay. First of all, uh, you can make... Yeah, if, if you are saying there's less to repay on a year-by-year basis with a trade job like a plumber, then out the gate, you're already earning more. Uh, There's less deducted out of your income that has to go to the student loan payments. And then once you factor in the opportunities that that affords, say for investment, you could learn quite a bit more, or not learn, earn quite a bit more, um, because you've got cash flow immediately as opposed to having to wait 10 years or whatever it is to, to finally get above that difference. Right. And that's 10
0: years of wealth growth.
1: Um, wealth growth, absolutely. So, the problem with that point in particular, because I've forgotten what the second thing... What, okay, the, just again mentioning really quick, I think that's a flawed comparison if we're mentioning entire how uh, individual median wage. I think if we're comparing student loans to student loans, it has to be people with degrees to compare the entire United States okay. medium wage um, with the student I mean it's I I, I really thought there was a very interesting correlation between um, up until student loans sort of got subsidized by the federal government from about 1900 until 1965 that there it was highly it was highly correlated and then um, as there was more government intervention. It appears that there was a greater delta. there's a greater margin between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, to better measure that, I think we have to get rid of the chunk of the population that's not involved with the student loans at all to get a more accurate um, apples-to-apples comparison. Um, but back to the trade jobs earning more out the gate. So
0: I, I pulled up something you, I'm sharing the screen with you. Okay. The average college graduate starting salary is around fifty five thousand bucks.
1: Which is this, you know, comparable to one of those trade jobs you mentioned? Right. Okay. But most non college graduates, most people who didn't go to college, I don't think have those kinds of trade jobs. I think a lot of them work things that are uh, lower skill, quote unquote. Um, It it could be customer, they're they're less technical, right? It could be customer service, it could be retail, it could be service industry. Um, There's a lot of jobs that you don't need any kind of qualification for and, and no certification for, unlike a plumber, electrician, could you name some of the? Could you list those again, those trades jobs specifically? Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I picked from a long list. There were like 100, but I picked the ones that mm-hmm. were fairly common electrician, plumber, mm-hmm. iron worker, postal service worker, and firefighter. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, of this list, the postal service worker made the most, made the highest wage of those five on average.
1: So, those jobs, a lot of them, aren't very easy. A lot of those trade jobs, a lot of jobs on that list um, can be difficult either physically and or emotionally. When I go to the local post office, everybody's pissed off all the time and um, you've got to deal with a lot of unhappy people and there's a lot of demand and it seems like a very stressful environment so it's not a job i think that most people are super eager um to to pursue and somebody's got to do it so yes okay but my point being that the they're more attractive jobs the jobs that might be more fun might be more um in line with people's aspirations might have more of a barrier to entry because they might have more technical or sophisticated aspects that require some vetting process like education and certification and so perhaps a six-month course or whatever it takes to get into one of those trades jobs is insufficient to be able to get to a job that is more fulfilling okay and so there's, th- so that's basically my counter argument there being preference. Many more people would be a lot more interested, I, perhaps, in regards to preference to say work for a marketing firm where you get to spitball ideas and you get to socialize and network and, um, and, and there's a creative aspect to it and then there's, uh, you get to work inside the air conditioning in a particularly difficult environment, whereas the guy downstairs, who's the plumber, is having to pull tampons out of the sewer line to get it running again and get you know his hands stuck in filth, so um, that might count. Argument being there, people are willing to pay more upfront for something that they would prefer across time.
0: Okay. Well, I say so. You made several points. Um, Sorry. So so uh, I'll go back to some jobs require uh, some certification and uh, degrees and student loans. I assume you're making the link that student loans help them get those qualifications. Um, Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. I think that makes sense. Do you have to get a certification to do a job that requires some sort of skill or experience in the field? Um, I think my, my, uh, my rebuttal to that is, um, well, on the other side, you have people taking out loans and getting like an arts degree, and they're getting paid twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Doing, I don't know, cleaning the floor or something at a shop. Uh, where is the value in that? To, to me, that's the that case is uh. Just as is, is the rebuttal to the case where someone, um, if they can't get that degree, then they have to work in the postal office, and it's not fun. So I don't know, I think the guy working at the postal office is set up a lot better financially and he's also, you know, paying his bills, whereas the, the person who gets the arts degree and is working in an ice cream shop will never pay off the degree. The taxpayers front that that money and don't ever see it back, and they don't see the value, they don't see any return on that investment. So I think I think to me that's a wash for the people that uh, they choose to get a degree so they don't have to work those jobs I think there's at least and um, there's a significant amount of people that get degrees that aren't worth anything financially whereas and financially meaning the taxpayers don't get that money back so it's kind of like it's a dead weight they just go in there to have fun they're taking student loans out to have fun at college so that's that's uh, my rebuttal to the people some t- people have to work those jobs and they want to Somebody has to do those jobs, but nobody wants to do them because they're shitty, and they want to get out of doing those jobs by taking student loans out to get a degree. Um, and you said... Uh, I think that was the same thing. Some jobs need certs and qualifications, and uh, other jobs are unskilled. Who fills those? I think, I think you kind of bring up a point. Not every person can do every job. Um, I, I remember reading something about uh, the military only hires, can only get people with certain uh, intellectual aptitudes, and below mm. that level, they have no use for those people. And uh, yeah. I think perhaps those people it's
1: like it, are it's like eighty or eighty-five IQ, yeah, something roughly, something like that.
0: And I think those people that uh, fall within that range, they have to find something to do, and perhaps those. Maybe not a firefighter or an electrician, but maybe a postal service worker. I don't know. Um, they they have to do some sort of job, that's uh yeah, that they can are capable of doing, and they like and they like to do, and they they can actually add value in that position. Um. So yeah, so I think the the argument that uh it gets unskilled people the ability or people who don't want to do the jobs that are tough and they want that cushy job. Student loans give them that ability, but I think at the same time people take the student loans out and get worthless degrees and they don't make money to pay those degrees off, and it's a net drag on society. And the people who benefit are the people giving out those degrees. Those professors and colleges are making a bunch of money.
1: Okay. So part of my rebuttal to that is that there is are, I don't know if I would say intangible, but non-financial benefits, which makes the calculation of the value that's added more complicated and more difficult. If we're only looking at dollar signs, then yes, something like an arts degree, um, where a person still has to work at Starbucks or work as a barista or bartender bartender or whatever they're doing to finance their student loan repayments, and their co- the cost of living, hopefully to give them enough free time to be able to still work towards their goal of being an artist. But the art that they provide is perhaps more practiced and of higher quality than it would be if they just tried to do it on their own without going to an educational institution and, instruction, and went through instruction and in uh, peer review and, and professional review and having the resources especially historically speaking when there might be a museum of artwork that the campus uh funds or is, has on display that if you were in a small town you wouldn't be able to have access to you'd have to travel to the big city and try to move to the big city to be able to have access to those resources now with everything being digitized that argument holds less weight um but, but to have, I'm, I'm just saying artists, right? Because that's the example you brought up. But there are other softer skills, non-STEM degrees that I think this applies to that are adding value to the standard of living, to the culture that, are, that have non-financial metrics. But unfortunately, that makes the uh, analysis much more complicated.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think the, the only metric that we can look at is can the people pay that money back within a reasonable period yeah. of time? And uh, I don't have the total student loan debt available to me, but I think it grew. I know it's something like $1.6 in 20... 6,
1: $1.7 I believe. I, uh, let me pull up that that statistic. Um, average student loan debt from Forbes.com um let me see I'll, I'll pull that article up in 2023 okay so i at, basically at the start of this year there is 1.75 trillion dollars in total student loan debt including both federal and private loans um let me just read because all right so you did your historical thing let me read what forbes.com has to say about the general statistics of student loans um Sorry, this article was last updated on September 19th, so it's a bit of a misnomer about the 2023 student loan debt statistics. Anyway, um, so $1.75 trillion in total student loan debt. That's one statistic. Another is that the uh, average owed per borrower is $28,950. So the average person who has a student loan owes about $29,000. About 92% of all student debts are federal student loans. So the vast majority of it is coming through the government. And then when we look at the students of a public four-year institution, so your University of uh, Philadelphia, I believe, that was the one that was sort of your institution University of Pennsylvania, there. UPenn. Pennsylvania, apologies. Um, yeah, so that, that would probably be a public four-year institution. Um, on average, fifty-five percent of students at a public four-year institution has student loans. So, um, at least about or half, about or greater than half of students, it appears, have funding from the federal government via student loans. Um, just painting with broad strokes here, um, and what we are trying to determine is that worth it or not is that a good or a bad thing i mean if we want to put the moral words of good and bad it makes it a bit more tricky um if it allows people to work pursue the kind of work that they want to do it that's that's a benefit if it allows society to have more collective benefits because um, activities are financed that otherwise wouldn't be financed. That's a benefit. Um, and I, ha- I have a couple line items here that I wanted to pull up. Um, so I had mentioned previously that more education is correlated with more pay for a worker. Um, there's also, it's also a correlation between a educated workforce and the uh gdp of an economy that there's statistics that show that is true both an a state-by-state comparison and by a country-by-country comparison um, so that means that student loans can help finance education which can help us be competitive against other states against other countries because i mean like they're not there's a uh correlation between more education the more GDP. I'm
0: interested to know uh, if and... that was all degrees or if STEM degrees have been increasing.
1: If STEM degrees have been increasing what?
0: If STEM degrees, the number of STEM degrees have been increasing with the amount of student loan debt or if it's mostly liberal arts degrees hmm. that are being awarded from the student loans being taken out because to compete, compete I, at an inter- international I level I think the I would argue that the STEM degrees would be the benchmark the number, number of STEM degrees offered issued every year would be the benchmark in my opinion
1: well there there could be this um, there could be interesting um, less obviously direct measurements where an economy could benefit from a non-STEM degree being able to be more available to prospective students. You're looking up some statistics here. Um, number of STEM degrees and certification certific, certificates awarded in the United States from 2008 to 2020. And... The gross number appears to have been increasing over time. Yeah,
0: about 500,000 to 750,000 total per year. But I wonder if that's
1: but what proportion is of that is compared of, well, yeah, and then what proportion, how does that compare to the increase of students? right? There could just be more and more students who are able to get into education. Um, but arguably, the more and more people that can get into education, the more STEM—that's fine—that's uh, being studied. The more arts and liberal arts that are being studied, the more collective well-being is being improved, and that creates a rising tide.
0: Perhaps I would—I wish I had more stats to look at here to compare that, because I think you have to get in the nitty gritty, like you said. Um, yeah, but there, there is one case I wanted to. One point I want to bring up. I'm gonna sneeze.
1: Go Man, it do went it. away.
0: Um, and that was so one of the one of the benefits of education, in my mind, or I guess one of the assumptions of of uh, the benefit of getting a higher education and student loans subsidizing that, is uh, is that it produces individuals that are more intellectual and willing to, you know, uh, implement positive change in the world. Um, and I think, uh, they will participate more in, in your local communities and the state government, federal government to implement positive change. Um, and I look at this study right now, it's a Gallup, uh, survey from March, 2015. And, uh, what it's showing is the number of the percentage of people who are Democrats and, uh, from high school to diploma to some college, to college or higher, uh, the, fir- the more education Democrats have, people who lean Democratic, Democrat, uh, they believe more in climate change. And it starts mm-hmm. 45% in this poll of Democrat per educate of high school level education. 45% of them believe in climate change and consider it a great. Uh, this metric is percent saying they worry about climate change a great deal. And then some college, 48%, and then college or higher. Education 50% of those say they worry about climate change a great deal now If you look at the Republican leaning individuals with a high school education 23% of those people um, Say they worry about climate change a great deal and then the more education they get it declines actually so 11% Of people who have some college education that identify as right-leaning or Republican uh, Say they worry about climate change a great deal and then the more education from there college or higher education only eight percent of right-leaning individuals um with that level of education worry about climate change a great deal so
1: okay so to, to summarize education increases the polarization of the climate change debate and you factor that in Correct. Right. um is that correct all right how does that factor into so, the student loans? so discussion?
0: i'm arguing that student loans one of the the benefits of student loans is that it allows more people to become better citizens and contribute more to society because it offers them a way, a easier way to get higher education. And I'm using this as an example of higher education doesn't actually do that. And student loans are, are funding that. They're not producing individuals. Maybe this is challenging the, the assumption that we may go into this argument. Um, that people aren't aligned on how we should best contribute to society and, uh, higher education instead of brings people together, perhaps it isolates the two groups. So maybe that's why they get more polarized, but they're not agreeing on these fundamental existential existential,
1: cri- uh, crises and topics. Um, so but m- but maybe that's a good thing. I mean, just, just countering that, um, If we have these higher institutions, higher learning institutions, that get everybody to conform with a certain way of thinking, like you go to school and then you come out with this sort of, you know, everybody's on the same page as to what you believe. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not desirable. Maybe this is actually a good thing. It's allowing people to get the skills to develop their values better and to be able to explicate those values uh, to a more sophisticated degree
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean maybe maybe it points out that climate change is not a settled uh topic um maybe it points out you're right maybe it points out that uh that folks can't agree on anything really (laughs) regardless of education um but i i classified that as uh climate like pollution and climate change that is a considerable um, could be a considerable apocalypse apocalyptic type type scenario that we have to face and, uh, and education doesn't help us better address this apocalyptic um,
1: crisis that could be coming I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I, I think um, we're going to get too far away from the main discussion here if we try to go back and forth on how The financing of education doesn't bring people together into the same way of thinking
0: I don't think it's it's bringing people together in the same way of thinking I think it's about contributing to society better and I think the I think the thinking that the Democratic folks have Democrats have is that they are concerned about society as a whole here and the more education they get the more they think that way and then Republicans they're not thinking that way. They don't. They don't care about the impacts of society of these uh, externalities that nobody's held accountable for. And student loans are funding this divide.
1: I, I think that's taxpayers are funding discussion. this divide. Yes, and I I personally think that might be a good thing, um, for for taxpayers to fund people being able to to get education, to better develop their research tools and their communication skills, um, to be able to better express and contend with whatever their particular opinion is. But I don't really want to get, to be honest, I don't really want to get too much into the climate change or the political uh, aspects. I, I think that's starting to throw in more and more factors mm-hmm. uh, that could confound Uh, an already very difficult and contentious subject. Sure. Um, Okay, well, I mean, any other points
0: you want to make? I think the, I mean, my point clear, I think the the stance that I conveyed was that student loans are not worth it because they're too costly and they've increased at a far greater pace year over year Mm -hmm. than wages have. And so Mm -hmm. it's gotten to a point that it's too expensive For people to take these student loans out and instead they're they're predatory on for these 18 year old adults taking out these loans that they won't be able to pay off for another 15 years to get degrees that for a lot of times they will are not really adding much value to society and uh, will ever be able to pay these degrees back
1: okay Um... One point I want to bring up, uh, a couple points I want to bring up before I summarize my stance, Um, and I I don't have a pre-formulated summary, so mine will be a little bit more off the cuff. One point I wanted to bring up, this I I did write down. Education loans allow lower income students to compete with those that come from more wealthy backgrounds. What other way is there to reward intelligence and motivation in education while making sure that those who are already rich don't maintain an exclusive status. For a long time, universities were these ivory towers that, you know, if you already had money, if you already had connections, if you were already from a background that could funnel you towards that institution, you could just keep accumulating uh, opportunity, influence and uh now with socialized funding people who are from backgrounds that weren't previously able to get into these institutions now have an avenue to um improve their lives individually and thus bring that back to their community and and again help society as a whole by allowing more uh Opportunities, allowing more uh, avenues to opportunity. Um, You're typing in something. The resolution on the screen share isn't so great that I can see exactly what you're typing. Average student loan per borrower per year. Okay.
0: So I'm curious to know what the impact is. Okay. Okay. Is there? I mean, is there anything else you want to um, make to that? I'm I'm just searching while you're talking.
1: In that particular point, no. I mean, I on on that particular I, so I can provide um, the sources for uh, people who are interested in my different claims. Like when I claim that education is correlated with worker pay, I have a source for that. Um, when I say that a more educated workforce provides more value to the economy, increasing the GDP, I have a source for that. When I just said education loans allowing for more opportunities for lower-income students um, to get into higher education and thus, in turn, be able to, to help support families and communities that were previously excluded from such opportunities, I don't have a source for that.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, I agree with that point. I, however, the it's the cost of student loans that, uh, really the cost of tuition that student loans are subsidizing That do not make it worth it and so these students who aren't wealthy they have to take loans out to attend these colleges and especially minorities who don't get paid on average as much as white people and Asian people they take these loans out because they can't and on average they can't afford it as well as the wealthy folks they take these loans to get a degree And then after, they face even further challenges because they make a certain percentage to the dollar of of white people and Asian people. And so they take these really expensive loans out to get these degrees, and then they get paid less on average. So they're less likely to pay Mm -hmm. off the student loans over time. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: my argument, my rebuttal to that is uh, the student loans are too pricey. I think the concept of student loans allows people that allows poorer people to compete better with wealthy folks but the price of tuition which is subsidized by student loans has become so great that it's no longer worth it and and the evidence mm. that I would point to is the um, tuition cost as a percentage of annual wage from 65 that change from 65 to 2022. And that change was 22% of annual wage, average median annual wage for Americans, went up to 103% in 2022.
1: Right, again, not accounting for education level.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think that matters because it's it's the same basis that I'm comparing. I lost you. I don't think, can you still Hello? hear me? No, there you are. I think that matters because it's the same basis. I'm using the same metric for each year. So it's a year-over-year year change. I, I would imagine that the same percent, percentage increase would be the same factor. So the 22% increase, 103%, whatever the percentage was in 1965 for people that hold bachelor degrees or college degrees would increase by a factor of about five also. To me, it's not the absolute magnitude. Um, It's the uh, magnitude of increase that
1: proves my point. Okay. I'm a little lost on that point, to be honest. So there's the 103% versus the 22%, but what, what do those percent increases reflect again?
0: So the median wage from 1900 to 1965 increased by about a factor of 10. Okay? Okay. For both wages and tuition costs. Yes. And then from 1965 it increased I don't know if I could do this math by about a factor of 40, 1500 to 56,000. Something like that, 40x. From 65 to what year? 2022. Okay. All right. And then the median wage increased from 6,000 to 54,000, and that's a factor of 9. So the wages increased a factor of nine from 65 to 2022. Tuition mm-hmm. costs increased by a factor of 40.
1: Okay. Right, which is... And now we've gotten yeah, to... Before and p- after 1965, student loans were differences introduced on, on, the, on the increase in costs when government got uh, involved in student Correct. loans okay um and, I, and i'm, I'm arguing
0: that it's gotten to the point where it's too
1: expensive and it's no longer worth it right but the yeah and then um was okay i hear you there i, I i'm understanding better what your point is there let me see if there was one more point point I'm and gonna then bring
0: up. and then okay. to finish that off if if wages yeah. kept up with the tuition cost increase the, media aver- mm-hmm. the median wage in the U.S. would be $250,000 a year. If right. it increased at the same rate as tuition has since 1965. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if we were all making $250,000. It would uh, be nice if the student loans that- weren't
0: subsidizing colleges to increase their tuition so much every year. Right,
1: right. Um, yeah, inflation... The increase in the costs in costs, I think, plays a factor in the increase in tuition. So, sure, the source of infl- inflation, I, uh, a lot of times, sure, is government. Um, it's 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 government financial, fiduciary, uh, policies. Sure, there's other um, things that can increase inflation. Uh, a point that I brought up here was. It takes significant resources to run a university. From the cost to create and maintain buildings, to the research, to the classroom education, to all the staff, these costs are all reflected in the price of enrollment for a student. And with inflation, that means that the cost of maintaining buildings, the wages, um, all the, all of the operations that are necessary to maintain this um, infrastructure and the system, they all go up with inflation, and therefore um, enrollment costs are going to go up, and therefore the financing is going to be is going to need to increase along with that. So there could be an argument to say that the focus here shouldn't be so much on um, if we wanted to reduce that, that difference between tuition and earnings, maybe part of it is battling inflation. Maybe that's more of the root cause of this difference. Um, that's, that's just an aside. And another thing I wanted to bring up is that um, maybe part of the reason for the difference between the average um, American worker and the increase in tuition is because over time, professors are being valued more, and professors are being paid more, and that's arguably a good thing, because if paying professor more, paying professors more makes it more of a competitive job, then that means the average professor is going to be more skillful. That I mean, I don't. know I think that's a
0: lot of uh, assumptions. We have to check that with data.
1: It's it's yeah it's it's a it's a logic based argument, not a fact based argument. Well, I say for I the for the inflation
0: part, that should affect wages, but it has not. It's the the tuition costs yeah. have dispropor- disproportionately increased, way more, by twice as twice as much. Mm-hmm. So the the average increase is uh six point five percent year over year tuition cost increase since nineteen sixty five. And uh, I believe average inflation rates like three percent. Look it up.
1: It was. Yeah, nineteen
0: sixty <laughs> to twenty twenty one rate was three point eight percent per year. So per annum. So on average, the tuition rate increase has been a full, almost three percent, like two point eight percent, greater than inflation rates.
1: Okay. So, so yeah, inflation does not account for all of the tuition increase. Um, right. And, and then my, there's my assertion, possibly, that we value professors more over time. It's becoming a more competitive job, and um, that over time, maybe professors are, on average or could become more skillful at their job.
0: I would argue they're not being more skillful because it's not driving up the median wage enough to fund student
1: loans but they're not doing their job well enough that median that that median wage measurement that metric is for the entire american population not like by bachelor degree master's degree xyz
0: but it should it should be increasing we should be kept at the same cost for, uh tuition costs as a percentage of annual wage we should be keeping at that same percentage point the same factor and we did keep that from 1990 to 1965
1: 1900 19, 1900
0: and 1965 we did keep median wages and tuition costs were in line with each other they stayed exactly they increased exactly the same rate for 65 years mm-hmm. and then when student loans were introduced in 1965, tuition cost increases outpaced wage growth by, I don't know, about probably 3% year over year. So on average, tuition costs were being increased 3% faster than or greater than median wages were.
1: Yeah. Um, I would be interested to see how if we changed that date, 1965, if we slid it earlier and backwards, how it would change those different numbers those different percentage outcomes on a on a you know year by year basis um i I think it's a very good point on your part. It's hard for me to uh get around how using that date uh things have increased so dramatically i mean it's you know the that sixty five years versus Oh, I guess it's about it's about sixty and sixty on either side, huh? 60, 65 years. About. Um, it's 50, so 57. that's about the halfway point. Okay, I mean that's a pretty fair date then. That's um, a good date to pick.
0: I'd be curious. So we have uh, the income of bachelor degree holders in twenty twenty two. I'm curious if we could find the bachelor that median income for bachelor degree holders in nineteen sixty five.
1: And nineteen hundred. And nineteen hundred. And how it compared to the median income of the entire country. That would be an interesting comparison. Yeah, okay, so I would say while you're looking that up, part of my closing statements is that um, education as a whole improves GDP when you're taking in any given degree. And so that helps factor into a more productive economy. You could probably um, get a more specific comparison whether or not how STEM affects that. But uh, my assertion is that as a whole, education, regardless of degree, helps increase the standard of living for everybody. Um, And then a next step beyond that is there are intangible or more difficult benefits to, to measure besides um, the funding returns of each person's individual student loan. So, you know, one person gets into finance, pays off their student loan in five to ten years, another person gets an arts degree, and they pay it off for their whole life. Um, those, those are going to... Those have a different... Um, they're, they have... One's way more efficacious at the ROI uh, than the other. And that at the same time, maybe the person who got the arts degree is enriching the lives of a lot more people in their community um, and, and, and generating to other collective economic means in ways that are more difficult to put a numeric value on um so that's yeah i'd I'd say the more we pick and choose which dates which degrees um the more we can sway the argument one way or the other and the easier the metric uh the more inclined we are to rely on that metric as being valuable um but in reality there's there's too, the ecosystem itself is too complicated to be able to pin it down very easily.
0: I would partially agree with that. I think uh, I think at a high level, I think the wage growth versus tuition cost increase is a good high-level metric to evaluate the health of student loans and the efficacy in terms of making money and paying, being able to pay those loans back of the student loan, Uh, system that we have now. Um, I will admit that we should have some system. I think it would benefit society as a whole to have some sort of system that would allow people who cannot afford higher education outright to be able to access funds to pursue a higher education. I think there there could be a net benefit to society if we had a system that was not so, in my opinion, exploitative of the people taking the loans out to pay for college to get the higher education. I think uh, the concept is good, and I think we should have some sort of system in place. But the way it's operating now is uh, it's going to break at some point because it's it's increasing out of control, and, and we can't afford it. If it increases at this rate, it's going to overcome our GDP, our national GDP. Well, the
1: more, I th- I think there will be a natural correction wherein students will no longer value the cost of the education. The cost will be too high. They won't go into the, uh, the institution of higher learning. They'll, they'll find alternative avenues, and then that will force a correction um, because there'll be decreased demand. At the moment, because of, um, I think, largely because of how employers evaluate employees, that is what uh, fosters so much demand for higher education. If employers were like, well, you know, I'm happy to hire you regardless of degree if you can have a proven track record of something, um, then people would find those alternative pathways to employment. But it appears that and maybe this there's is an issue with the employers and hiring staff, they, it appears that they largely throw resumes in the trash if you don't at least have a bachelor's degree. Um, so there's that kind of a snowball effect as well. I think, I think
0: things have changed a little bit. I think Elon Musk tweeted something that he said, he doesn't care <laughs> what degree you have, he wants to know if you can do the job. And I think right. that's a culture that some companies are taking on nowadays because of that fact. Um, and I would, to your, to your point that you were kind of hinting at was, uh, um, perhaps we haven't reached the point at which student loans are too expensive and tuition costs are not too cumbersome for society yet. And I would, I would say that we have reached that point and that's why we're talking about loan forgiveness. And right now the system is in my view is breaking and the evidence of that is, that we're talking about total student loan forgiveness, and it's because tuition costs have become so great, and people get these degrees, and they can't make money to pay that off, and the tuition costs increase have been so great because they're being subsidized by the taxpayers, right. and uh, and there's no check on colleges.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I I would agree that. The student loan forgiveness program would only incentivize people to continue their path towards higher education if they know that they don't have to pay it back. Not have to. They don't have to pay it back. Uh, where, it, wherein there would be a natural correction to the market, where people would no longer uh, be eager to go to higher education if they knew that they were going to be paying it off for the rest of their lives and that the, the system would have to... Uh, yeah, something's got to give. Yeah, you just... Something's got to give. Um, and to...
0: And right now, the tuition yeah. rates, I think the government's going to have to step in and tell colleges to stop increasing tuition because what's incentivizing them to stop increasing tuition? There's nothing. Because you can just get a loan right. still. There's no limit to the loan that you can get to go to college, even private colleges. And... and right. And people who are trying to go to school now to get a degree, they can still get a loan and they don't even have to pay for it right now. It's paused. It could be paused indefinitely. So right yeah. now, the burden's yeah. on the government, which we're funding ultimately through taxes. Yes. So I think the... I mean, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out in the next few years. Because right now it's kind of... a Nobody wants to be... The administration that says, "Okay, guys, you got to start paying your student loans again."
1: Yeah, party's over, right?
0: Nobody's gonna want that guy. There's so many people that owe student loans. There's like forty million people, like ten yeah. percent of the population, more than ten percent, owe student loans. Hey, hello. Hey, I hear you. Cut out there. I was saying ten percent. Yeah, I was saying ten percent of. Uh, there you Ten percent okay. of the population owes student loans. So that's a huge percentage.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. You're right. Um, I think we're gonna have to reevaluate the pathways to success uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I I think you're. I think that the delta, the difference between um, the tuition and the average worker, the median income. Again, I would like to readjust those numbers based off of education, but. Just using that measurement, um, I think that's sh- showing that one's going to outpace the other, and and therefore it will be it's unsustainable. So that there needs to be some kind of a fix, and I believe that um, government interventions and subsidies and regulations oftentimes only accelerate the issue. Um, what now? Back to uh, sorry. Lost my train of thought there. So the, yeah, there's there's some big issues and student loans, to to your point, are a big factor or a big metric in the the kinds of issues that we're having. However, education, just you know, looking at pretty simple measurements, being so correlated with an increase in GDP instead of living, both for the people who Got that education, and in general, the the community that they're involved with shows that potentially financing uh, this education makes it worthwhile, even if it increases certain costs. Um, how and how can we provide fair opportunities to to everybody to be able to get those kinds of um, avenues to success without there being some social aspect to it it's really tough to say it's really tough to say i mean any government measure is going to require more uh, regulation it's going to require more taxpayer money and so we have to be able to determine as a citizenry are we okay with paying more out of our income taxes usually our income taxes um there's other kinds of taxes as well to finance education does that make our life better but because there's intangibles and it's so complicated. <laughs> it, it's a lot easier to just point to a couple numbers and say, this is going up, this is going up, not worth it, we should cut it. Um, I, I think I've said all the points that I set out to make. Yeah. Um, what about so I mean, uh,
0: I'll, I'll say it again. I think we need something that helps people who cannot afford to get a higher education We need a program out there to allow them to get the higher education because it not only benefits them, but it benefits society as a whole because they become more impactful and they contribute more to society. Um, However, Mm. I think the student loan system as it exists now is uh, the incentives are in the wrong places and the burden is on the wrong group of people, and that burden is on mostly 18-year-olds and early young 20-somethings that take out these huge loans to get a degree that will not always give them the ability to pay it off in full. Sometimes for their entire life. So I think we should have some sort of system that allows that social and class mobility because it adds value not for them only for them, but also for society. But our system's broken, and we should uh, fix it somehow.
1: Yeah, maybe part of the answer there is is better life planning. In education institutions even before higher education, in in primary education, uh, primary and secondary. How can we implement life planning? How can we implement financial literacy and skills? These aren't things that that have a a lot of classroom time, conventionally, at least in my experience. Um, I remember I took a mandatory class in our high school called Life Management Skills. And the, the kinds of things that we learned in that class were don't do drugs, don't have sex. Um, this is how you write a check, which in 2008, 2009, 2010, writing a check is not a skill that you really need. Um, and so that class was super outdated. But maybe a life management skills class, something that can show you how to formulate your finances, it can show you how to uh, implement steps towards a long-term goal, would help people be aware of the direction they're going in and not say, well, I'm just going to do what the culture at large hints at me me doing. I see all these movies that say college is this incredible experience and It helps me find, and hopefully, it helps you find yourself. Instead of that, maybe we need to be helping people finding themselves at an earlier age, so that they can um, take steps in the direction they want to go.
0: I'd agree with that. And another another point came to mind when we were talking about uh, one of the chapters, and it was about how students would rather um, have this; uh, they would pay more money to kiss their favorite celebrity in a year than they would to kiss them in a day and so they found more value to have this thing that they really want further out into the future because they could i guess they could uh make it last longer i guess i don't know what the reasoning was they don't go into it but the fact is that the students would rather pay would pay more money to kiss their favorite celebrity in a year than they would in in a day and I think the same yep. kind of psychology applies to young people taking out loans and maybe all people. Um, they don't really care about the cost now because one day they're going to be able to pay it off. They're going to find, they're going to get rich and they'll be able to pay it off. So whatever the cost is, it could be a hundred thousand dollars, could be a million dollars, who knows, but they're not thinking rationally. So I think the system is a little exploitative and it takes advantage of that psychological, I don't know, vulnerability of people because one day they'll make it and one day they'll make enough money. As long as they can hold on to that dream, they'll pay more money for it. If it's further out.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, I don't know. We want to cl- conclude here? <laughs> We've been concluding for like yeah, 20 think, minutes. I
1: think, well, I, it. We're just, we're just trying to um, clarify, make sure that we both understand each other well make sure that we both make feel like we've explained our stance and yeah i think we've gotten to the point where we've done that and we've we've done some speculation on what might be moves in the right direction moving forward that even people who are opposing can agree on um and i think we've done a pretty good job here so um you want to conclude it as far, Just the high level let's like minute. Let's, let's conclude it. Yeah, yeah. Let's conclude it.
0: You want to just the uh, so so you're saying that student loans are worth it because they allow people to improve the, their lot in life and they also add value to society. So any access to any sort of funds in the form of student loans to get that higher education that allows them to do that is worth it. I'm making the argument that that a vehicle that allows people to do that is good, but student loans. The way they exist today is broken and exploitative, and uh, we can't fund it because the people who get the higher education can't afford the student loans, which are subsidizing the tuition cost increases. So I think the for okay. me, the answer is somewhere in the middle there. I think uh, we both made some points, and I think really the debate is whether or not the system is broken now, and uh, I think that's up in the air. I think we have to do some more research on that.
1: I think so. And I think we need to be able to discuss what our v- values are. I think we need to be able to discuss where we want to go, go like which, which what's our future. Um, and, and so hopefully this oppositional discussion allows us to clarify our thoughts about where we are and where we want to go. Yep, I agree. Cool, man. Um, so, can I bring up something on a personal note outside of our discussion? Sure, yet? go ahead. So, yesterday, I finished the first handwritten draft of a novel that I've been working on for years and years. Uh, the novel is called The Neg, and it is about a sort of superhero figure who's got antimatter abilities. And I am really happy that I was able to achieve that first goalpost of a long-term goal. There's plenty more that needs to be done to be able to make this a official, published, marketable product. Something that we can hold. But I'm really excited to be moving forward with this. And I want to be able now to start speaking about it more publicly be able to help generate interest moving forward for when it's eventually gonna hopefully hit shelves.
0: That's exciting. Congratulations. Thank
1: you very it's an much interesting
0: concept. Antimatter abilities. Seems like a uh, missed, uh Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen variation of that.
1: Sure. I would say that uh The Watchmen was an influence for sure because it's a more mature superhero story. Um and it, it sort of takes elements of the world that we see now a lot of the Watchmen* was a commentary on vietnam and living in a nuclear age nuclear weapons um i'm trying to take elements of our current um our current worldview including things like technology spying uh, technological in uh, intrusion into our lives or or just technology becoming more and more a part of our life. Um, I'm, I'm taking... That's, that's one of the biggest influences on what this story is going to be. Um, and also, I have taken inspiration from mythology and sort of psychoanalysis, looking at character kinds of archetypes, and... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> looking at how... These figments of our imagination that we express to each other um, are symbols for how things might potentially move um, in, in our understanding of how the world works and where it may go. Um, so to have a guy, a character, who can uh, walk through any door, who can... Um. who who has the the fundamental moral question i think of this character is if my ability is to destroy how can i use that for good and i i like playing with uh, juxtaposition or opposing values or opposing attributes so i, I really hope to A lot of this story, I think, is going to be suspenseful, putting things in opposition into a situation and seeing how we can find some kind of resolution from that. So anyway, I'm going to hopefully be able to talk more and more about it over time, while at the same time not overriding every conversation I'm in and becoming annoying about it. Well, I'm
0: excited. I'm excited to uh, see what happens with it. Congratulations. Thank you. Big achievement
1: big step it's not fully achieved but yeah um what kinds of goals do you have long-term now i you and i um when we were hanging out in the panhandle in florida i know that you were working on a long-term goal system Mm -hmm. um and and you and this is like an annual evaluation that you do um what kinds of directions do you see yourself going in and what kinds of skills and uh markers so what kind of skills sure. do you want to develop and yep. what kind of market uh, markers have you uh placed for yourself to cross on so the
0: i started with this uh patrick bet david annual plan a few years ago and his his it's pretty good it's uh his was really extensive and it was really focused on like a uh if you own your own company think about how you can better improve that and then at the very end he had something about like your personal life and Where you want to be with friends and socially and that sort of thing and uh i've kind of morphed it every year i've done it because i don't run a company i work a nine to five job as a product manager um so uh the goals that i kind of set for myself are uh mostly job related these are the main achievements i want to you know hit this year in my job these are the main achievements i want to hit financially these are the main achievements i want to hit uh, personally and uh, relationship wise, and with my son, you um, know, and, and skills like I have, I have uh, weightlifting targets that I want to hit every month, and I put it on a calendar. Um, and I also have goals with this podcast. I want to hit sixty episodes this year. I want to end on sixty-nine episodes by the end of December. Nice. Um, it works out nicely because that's a nice round number. And uh, yes. Uh, it's good from top yeah, to bottom. Some, yes, yeah, <laughs> doesn't matter how you look at it. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I mean, I think the some other goals that I have are I want to have a certain amount of money so that I can buy a uh, an asset that gives me money instead of a car. I really want to buy a car, but uh, I don't have to right now. I have an older car. It's kind of a beater, but I think I can ride that out for at least a year or two. Um, but if mm-hmm. I take a loan out to buy a car. Um, my debt to income would not be good enough for me to buy another place, so I'm holding off on that. So I want to buy something, a second, maybe a second home or an investment property, and then either do short term rentals or long term rentals and get that going. And once I have that, then I'll treat myself to something like a nice car. Yeah, I was really I was really hot on muscle cars for a minute, and uh, I was dead set on a Challenger for Cleveland because it can run the snow okay, better than Camaros and Mustangs, yeah. but uh but yeah. I'm going to wait on that. Um, but yeah. yeah I, Get some cash flow and yeah. assets. I think that's a good I do goal. it. I do this. I've been doing it for three years. I think it's a good way to level set yourself. And like last year, I spent a lot of money on my credit cards. Yeah. And had I not done this yeah. annual plan, I would not have gone into that much detail in how much I spent on my credit cards. And it was way too much money. And uh, so yeah. it really made me think about like what am I spending my money on and why am I doing that? It's a little self uh, self-reflection not only financially but yeah. like just look at yourself and see why you're spending all that money on shit you don't really need um and yeah. change your habits really something else i want to do is, is eat better I, re- I want to lose some weight too on top of the, sure. the weightlifting targets
1: do you cook many of your own meals um
0: i started when i lived when i moved into my house now and i kind of moved away from that i had was driving my son to daycare, and I would go to Chick Fil A every day and get breakfast. I have like, mm. I have like fifteen thousand points on my Chick Fil A program or whatever it's called, and uh, okay. and I would Uber out. I think I spent something like four grand on Uber Eats and uh, DoorDash last year. Oh. So it was, yeah. it was, it was just a bad habit, and I didn't realize how bad it was until I looked and looked at it, and I did that in the planning mm. session. Um, But this year, I do plan on eating a lot more. I was shopping at a place called Giant Eagle, and that's kind of like Publix. It's a little bit more pricey. And then I just discovered a place called Aldi's. They have like really good food Mm -hmm. for almost half the price. Something that would cost like 170 bucks was 100 bucks yesterday, and uh, so I'm excited to eat healthier.
1: I remember reading a one of the biggest nutritional studies that had been done, and It wasn't done, I believe, financed via traditional academia. It was actually done on a nutrition app. Um, And some of the outcomes were that people who are most able to attain their fitness goals have a higher proportion of healthy fats, especially something like olive oil. So instead of having food that's cooked in uh, vegetable oil, uh, vegetable oil often is from canola or sunflower seed, um, or can be this hydrogenated, whatever it is. Um, if you get a better fat like olive oil, that's one of the main determining factors in um, improving your achieving your fitness goals. Hmm. Another was in, increasing fiber in your diet, and so what those two things indicate to me is that people who have more home cooked meals and who have fewer carbohydrates and more vegetables in their meals are going to have a better chance of attaining their fitness goals.
0: That's good to know. I did uh I did do keto for a while at some point and uh I lost I lost some yeah. weight. I did it for the wrong reasons. I wasn't, I was, so I was training for a half marathon and I read somewhere that if you were operating off fats and you're in ketosis, then you don't hit like a wall while you're running. And that's like 2000 or 3000 calories spent into your run. And, uh, I Mm -hmm. found out that you're not going to see that unless you run like 30 miles. So it's not really going to help a half marathon, which is like 13 miles. But I did that for a little bit. And, uh, while I was on keto for like, I don't know, three months or something, um, I found that when I, I could run and not feel, I felt just in general less spiky with my mood and my energy levels, and I could concentrate mm-hmm. better. And uh, I think that has to do with when you ingest a bunch of carbohydrates, especially sugar, it spikes your energy levels, and then you peak and you go down, and it's really hard to concentrate while your body's processing those spikes in energy. So if you have a yep. if you have a steady ketosis going and you're operating off those fats and proteins for the most part, um, it's like it's like a mood stabilizer, and I yeah. and that was something that I wasn't expecting to get out of it. I was just wanted to not die in my half marathon, but um, but I liked it, and I think this year I'm gonna be a little maybe not keto all the way because I want to eat vegetables. To do keto, you got to eat fucking hot dogs, meat, hot meat, dogs, bed, eggs, yeah. and so much fat, and that usually that fat usually comes from um, mayonnaise and uh, and heavy no, whipping cream. Don't
1: need to be hit, because it's bro. You need to redo uh, your keto diet. That I'm telling not, you, you were looking at some no, bad ta- sources. I,
0: try to hit eighty eighty five percent of your calories from fat, without mayonnaise and heavy whipping cream. I'm telling you, yeah, you got to eat like a ton, no, like a literal ton of you, fucking walnuts, or something else, no, or olives. This, you gotta have more meat. No meat. You gotta have meat more... is more is protein that fucks your. You have to add fat to your meat because it's not the fat right. ratio just, to protein is not high enough.
1: You get super fatty cuts. even, even then,
0: I'm telling you, even then, it's like eighty percent. Your diet is eighty percent fat,
1: fifteen percent protein, and then five percent carbs. To go into ketosis, it's really interesting that we've ended up here in this discussion. To go into ketosis, you just need to not have certain, not have a certain amount of blood sugar levels, right? And, and then you stop running off of the like glucose. Right. But if that's you, yeah, if you eat
0: too much protein, then your body starts to burn your proteins too, and you start to lose muscle mass. And I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Okay. You have to make your body say, "Okay, I'm going to focus eating on these fats, and then I allocate the proteins as needed to your body, and then the five percent carbs." I think is just a cost you have to, the price you paid to supplement your diet with vitamins that you actually need and vegetables and whatnot.
1: But if you're eating a sufficient amount of both meat and fat, then, um, I mean, it's always going. It's not. It's always going to burn the fat first before it burns the protein, isn't it? In your body. So
0: you need seven to eighty percent fat from total daily five to ten percent. Carbs 10 to 20 percent protein, and say what's the fat calories for fatty piece? I don't know, fatty beef.
1: No, you need to be going pork. Okay, we'll do pork. I mean, you can get a fatty cut, you, you can get a fatty cut of uh, beef for sure, but uh, if you really want to get fatty meats and for your ketosis, then pork is definitely the way to go.
0: Um. Pork, oh pork fat. That's not what I want. I mean, but yeah, pork but you can pork fat is you can... the right ratio. That's 19 grams of fat and then almost two grams of protein. That's exactly if you yeah. ate that all day, you would be on target to hit ketosis.
1: Yeah, pork fat's delicious, dog.
0: Yeah, but that's that brings you to the level that you need to be at. But you're not going to subsist. It'd be shitty to subsist on pork fat alone. That's the fat. That's not the meat.
1: Yeah, but you, you can have. I mean, what else can you eat? That's it's tough. I'm telling you. It ends up being mayonnaise and
0: and heavy whipping cream. well
1: that. Dairy it probably causes inflammation. Dairy's probably it's got carbs you want to in it. Not have too, Milk has carbs. Yeah, you want to be careful with dairy. Right. Unless it's cheese. Cheese has had a bunch of the sugars removed. You can have um, cheese. I eat a lot of ahead. cheese
0: too, but even then, that's I would go. This, the protein ratio is higher than what you need,
1: right? Um, so, what about something like y- certain kinds of yogurts where you can drain off the whey?
0: Um, I think that's possible. You have to get the the yogurt that isn't non-fat. It's like the just the plain yogurt with no flavor because they put a lot of sugar in the flavored ones. Yeah, and yeah. Eat, but still that has you have to take the protein out somehow of that from that because the protein ratio is still high. I mean we could I'm trying to find caloric uh nutrition
1: facts for a fatty piece of pork. Probably depends on it. But like like pork ribs are decently fat. Um you've got like rump roast, boston butt. There you
0: go. What's well, pork fat? I don't want pork fat.
1: Ham hocks. <laughs> Eat more fat, kids. I mean,
0: it, that's what Let's that's what coca-cola. keto is. If you want to do keto, so this, so this high, um, just drink olive oil. You could do that. Olive oil would probably be better <laughs> than mayonnaise. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, that's what it would take, and that's what I ended. up I used I would have hot dogs with mayonnaise and cheese as like, that was be one of my meals, because that was the ratio that I needed to be in ketosis.
1: Yeah, so there is, I would say that that is not a super healthy dietary goal. I think one might want to reevaluate dietary goals. I would say um, to have a healthy metabolism, maybe incorporating fasting on a regular basis could be helpful to having the kind of metabolism that you want and also to have a more efficient and clean uh, running engine in your body then you want to get rid of as many preservatives and additives as possible so when you're eating mayonnaise yeah mayonnaise is usually made with soybean oil which is a low-grade oil Um, it increases the kinds of free radicals in your body and it can increase inflammation so that's a it's a inefficiency mm-hmm. in your digestive system, and um, and and yeah. So eating simpler, fresher ingredients is probably a really good way to go.
0: Yeah, I mean keto is, is one keto is one diet that you can follow, and honestly, I'm not convinced that you can be in ketosis and eat healthy. I think the ratio of fat to protein and carbs is so high that you're going to end up doing something weird, like drink olive oil or put mayonnaise in everything or put heavy whipping cream in everything.
1: Yeah. I would say then that if you want to make ketosis part of your um, routine, just fast for a day a week, you know, fast for like a 24 to 36 hour period. I don't think it's,
0: I don't know if that's how you get into ketosis. I think you have to have that ratio of calories. So I mean, I could I could fast, but as long as 80% of my calories come from fats, I would get into ketosis. I think fasting would be well, like I would say make it even
1: harder. That's like keto expert level. Fasting is going to help cleanse your bloodstream of the residual blood sugars. And so then and your body needs to start burning energy it's going to use your fat reserves yeah you can starve yourself that's one way to
0: do it but I don't think I don't think you're getting into it, I don't know if that gets you into ketosis
1: i, I think it jump starts ketosis anyway yeah
0: <laughs> oh more research um, to be to be done there but yeah I, I, this is a weird All place right. to be do you want to end it
1: Yes, sir. I think that's all right. It's
0: been real. Thanks, Alec. Uh, Another good episode of Entitled Opinion. See you next time.
1: Thank you, Hunter. And thanks to you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Entitled Opinion. Really quick, I want to tell you who all is coming on to the podcast in the future. Next up, we've got Luke Sandlin. He's a legislative correspondent up on Capitol Hill. Luke and I worked together as servers, and then he went on to bigger and better things in politics. He's got some interesting things to say about um, the environment, the culture that's up there. Also, he has some things to say about the war in Ukraine. Later on, we've got another guest, MJ Doran from Creative Codex. He's one of my favorite podcasters. He does incredible audio work on his podcast, and he does incredible research and storytelling on great artists. He also talks about some ways to improve on cre- creativity after that we've got devin she does different kinds of engineering and contracting work she had a background or experience in education so bridging from education to engineering i think there's some interesting things to speak about there and then after that we've got my friend josh who works with silicon devices which are basically the chips that we have in all of our electronics. So there's a lot that we could talk about with Josh about the things that we interact with every day and how we don't know exactly how they work. As the average person, he could give us some insight. So thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you on next time.